Hello, people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 23. Chapter 23. We're going to continue where we left off, where Paul, he invoked his rights as a Roman citizen in verse 25 of the previous chapter. He says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? This is a hardcore statement because what he's doing, he's revealing his citizenship under Rome. He's a Roman citizen. He's Jew, but he's also a Roman and because he has these rights as a Roman, invoking these rights, it's pretty hardcore what's happening because now the commander, they're like, whoa, you know, we can't condemn this guy. And, you know, he has rights to a fair trial. And that's where we left off last week. He has this, you know, rights to a fair trial. And what happened in verse 30 of chapter 22, uh, where we ended last week, says uh, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain, this is the, the, the commander, because the commander wanted to know for certain why he, speaking about Paul, was accused by the Jews. He released them from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So it's like this, you know, you have the council, you have Paul, and it's it's almost like the, the commander's in witness, kind of like a... Like a um, I don't want to say mediator, but like if you see like uh, arbitration, if you see it's not really, I mean, it's a legal setting, but it's not like, you know, judge, jury, plaintiff, defendant. But what you have here is two parties, plaintiff, defendant, you know, and, you know, under arbitration, it's this commander. And so they're in this meeting room. And so Paul, he's as his rights as a Roman citizen. He's using his rights now. Using his rights. Saying, hey, I, I want a fair trial. And that's what this is set up like. It's almost like plaintiff, defendant. And look what happens here. In chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council. So this is like defendant being Paul and the council as the, 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 the plaintiff. You know, what are the claims that are made against Paul? And now Paul has an opportunity to defend himself. It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. It's so beautiful what Paul states here because, you know, applicationally speaking, one of the blessings among many, but one of the blessings of godliness and living for Christ and righteousness and striving for righteousness and maturing in Christ and leaving aside the elementary things is a clear conscience before the Lord. I mean, have you ever had a guilty conscience? I have. I have told you before how, you know, there were times I used to go to church. This is, you know, in our church in California. And the pastor would speak and I felt like there was a straight up bonfire under my seat. You know, like, you know, is somebody messing with me? Is somebody playing games? You know, the person behind me, they, they let a fire under my seat. And, you know, you have this guilty conscience. It's like, whoa, but you know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is the word of God. This is your life. And I want you to change and get into the word of God and align yourself with the will of the Lord. It's nothing. It's bad if you ignore it. But it's beautiful because the Lord is saying, hey, get where you need to be. And then we have a choice to make. We can either ignore the Holy Spirit and grieve him. Or we can align ourselves with the will of the Lord. It's so beautiful because it happens. To, you know, we live in a generation today where people don't like that conviction. 
You know, it's like, oh, I have a guilty conscience, but I'm just going to ignore that. You know, like I, I can't sleep at night and I toss and turn. I'm thinking about this and I just have this guilty conscience. I lied on my taxes. The IRS is going to find me. They're going to give me penalties. You know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And it's like they, they toss and turn all night. They can't sleep. But what's so beautiful about being in Christ and abiding in Christ is like, wow, you know what? I don't have a guilty conscience. You know, you've heard me say the story about the Los Angeles Lakers, the basketball team. And, you know, there was when Magic Johnson, this was like, I don't know, it might be early 90s, late 80s. I forgot when it was, but Magic Johnson got AIDS. It was revealed, you know, he just he made, there was a press conference that said, yeah, I'm HIV positive. And everybody in the league, all the NBA players, they all got tested. And there was this one guy on the team, on the Laker team. His name is AC Green, and he never get, got tested. And all the teammates were like, you know, what's the matter? You know, HIV, you know, is it, what's up? Aren't you going to get tested? He says, no. Like, why? What's, what, what is it? How come? He says, I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin. I'm waiting for marriage. What? You know, not only, I mean, it's a beautiful testimony, but imagine his conscience. Like, you know what? You guys, you know, we go to this town and play games. You know, we go to this town to compete against this team, and you guys go out and do your partying, you do whatever. But you know what? I just, you know, get something to eat, come back to the room, you know, go play golf, do whatever. You know, I'm not doing the stuff that you're doing. And that's what's so beautiful about righteousness. You know, clean conscience, clear conscience before the Lord. What a witness that AC Green was, not only to the team, but to the league and to, you know, like it's like 20, 30, 40 years later. I don't know. I guess I'm older than I thought I was, but like 30 some years later, it's like, well, how beautiful this is. I love how Paul says, look, guys, you know, he's remember, he's a Pharisee, a former Pharisee of Pharisees. And what is he saying to these uh, this council of Jews now that he has a fair trial? Remember, they, they were beating him. And if you recall what the, what was his indictment in chapter 21, verse 28 says, men of Israel help. This is the claim of the Jews. This is the man speaking about Paul. This is the man like, you know, you can almost see it happening. Like pointing the finger. This guy right here. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law and this place. They're in the temple. And this place. And furthermore, he also brought, brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. That was the claim. And, you know, you can't bring Jews or, or, or Gentiles into the uh, temple. It's for the Jews. In accordance to the law. And so in verse 29, it says, For they had previously, this is uh, uh, verse 29 of Acts 21, it says, For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. That was the accusation. That was, they, they, they made an assumption. They made this assumption and says, You know what? We're going to run with this. It's so crazy. It's like, you know, a hoax. Fake news in the Bible. It's a hoax. And, you know, it blows me away so much because, you know, they came against Paul. And Paul, you know, he's, he, 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 he uh, 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 revealed his Roman citizenship. And now he has this fair trial and he's before them, his accusers. He says, look, guys, in verse 1 of chapter 23, 
I lived in all good conscience before God until this day. No guilty conscience. And the high priest Ananias. Now, Ananias is a popular name. Remember, there's now that we're on the third Ananias now. The first Ananias is uh, 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 the, the one who the Lord says, Hey, I want you to bring this persecutor of Christians into your home. Speaking about Paul. You know, this guy saw he's going around killing people, uh, uh, killing. He wanted to do away with the, the people of the way. Beating up Christians, having them in chains, taking them. And Paul's objective was to end the church. And so Ananias is praying. Beautiful, beautiful man. He's praying. And the Lord says, Hey, Ananias, you know, this guy who's persecuting the church, bring him into your home. And I love, you know, the account. We studied this already. So as a little, I'm just stirring the cup a little bit because, you know, a little refresher, refresher course. And Ananias, Lord, this guy, I've heard that he's done this. He does atrocities to the church. That's so, so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. It's not a one-way street. You know, it's like the Lord communicates with you. You communicate with the Lord. And the Lord says, you know, Ananias do this. And Ananias is like, you know what, Lord? I've heard about this guy. You know, the, the Lord is gentle with us. Very, very gentle with us. And this intimacy with the Lord. Look how, look how gentle he is with Moses in our study in you know, Exodus and Leviticus. Look how gentle he is with Moses. You could look and say, wow, he's not so gentle with the people. Well, you know, he is gentle with the people. But what happens when the people turn their back on him? You see grace, mercy, and judgment. And what do we see today? Grace, mercy, and judgment. Judgment is coming. It's a sure thing. People say, oh, yeah, the God of the Old Testament, you know, he's kind of vengeful and full of wrath. I don't like him, so I just stick to the, the New Testament. Well, no, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I never change, says the Lord. And it's so beautiful because the Lord says this to Ananias, bring this guy into your home. And Ananias, Lord, you know, he's dangerous. And then the Lord reveals to him, you know, before what's revealed to Paul, before what's revealed to the council in Jerusalem, before what's revealed to the, you know, uh, the, 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 and when I say the council in Jerusalem, I mean the, 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 the church, the church in Jerusalem, the council that was there with James, what we studied a couple weeks ago. James, like the head pastor of the church in, in Jerusalem. Before what was revealed to the pastors, you know, the Lord reveals to Ananias in, in his intimacy with Ananias. Ananias, this is my vessel. This is the guy I'm going to use. And it's so beautiful because, you know, that's the good Ananias. Then there's a bad Ananias. The one who's married to Sapphira, who they both conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit. And the Lord, you know, he, you know, he, he took their lives. You know, Ananias and Sapphira kind of remind me of uh, the strange fire of Aaron's sons. Profane fire before the Lord. It's almost like Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they also brought dishonor to the Lord. And the Lord just says, okay, that's it, you know. And, and you know, it just blows me away. You, you see these accounts, it's like, wow. It's, you read the Bible, it's like, whoa, this is like history. Straight up, we read this, it's like, whoa, it's so cool because the Bible becomes alive. And when you're faced with certain problems, when you're faced with certain decisions that you have to make, 
You could say, wow, you know, Lord, I want to bring you honor. And then you can lean on these people, the great cloud of witnesses that we have before us in this Holy Scripture. Like, wow, you know what? I want to be like Ananias. Oh, Lord, I want to be like Hannah. Lord, I want to be like Paul. I want to be like little Timmy. I want to be like Lydia. You know, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So look what happens here with Ananias, popular name back then. Verse 2, And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. You know, not just one. Those who stood by him. is plurality. I don't know if it was two guys, three guys, four guys, ten guys, twenty. I don't know. But the high priest says, hey, punch this guy in the mouth. You know, it, this is, you know, in accordance to the law, and we haven't got there in our Wednesday studies. I've made mention of it before, but in Deuteronomy 25, you see the command strike a man, but not more than 40 times. And, you know, I'm not advocating the law, but in the law is written certain conditions for when that is to happen. You know, it's like, it's a, it's like, you know, judicial punishment is what it is. I mean, like nowadays we have jail sentences, prison sentences, but, you know, back in the day, it's like, okay, you know, it's beaten. You're going to get beaten. You know, they do that in Singapore and certain, you know, like in, in Malaysian regions of Malaysia, like in, in, in Singapore and the Philippines, they do that. Caning. But these are things that are captured in the law. And it's like, it's, it's like judicial punishment, punishment in, 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 in. In the application of the law. And that's what Ananias is doing. He's giving the order. He's the high priest. He makes the calls. And according to the law. And he says, punch this guy in the mouth. And then say, they start punching him in the face. And when I say he's the high priest, this is in accordance to the law. We know that there's a new high priest. In the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because the veil was torn from top to bottom. High priest in the order of Melchizedek. If you recall our studies through the book of uh, uh, Hebrews. In verse 3 says, Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Look at his boldness. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall! Exclamation point! For you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you, not, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Remember, Paul himself is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's well taught and well versed in the law, in the ways of the law, by a very highly respected teacher, Gamaliel. See, do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? He's calling the high priest out on his hypocrisy. Now, unbeknownst to Paul, this guy is the high priest. And you know, he just thought that this guy was giving the command, hey, you know, punch this guy in the face, punch this guy in the mouth in accordance to the law. I would say, you know, kind of like a um, using the law to his advantage. You know, we're going to get there and study certain passages about the law. And I'm not advocating the law, but you start to see, you know, the law it's a beautiful thing in terms of building blocks. It's beautiful in terms of building blocks and a shadow of the things to come, which is Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here. In verse 4, And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? You see, already 
if you compare where we're at, compare, it's kind of interesting how we're in our studies in, in Leviticus, which is like the law and statutes under the law. And when we study, you know, chapter one, Leviticus 1, 2, 3, and get to where we're at, you start to see a difference between Aaron, the high priest, and Ananias, still a high priest. What has happened? Aaron and Ananias are like night and day. And this is under the law. I haven't even mentioned grace. This is under the law. And it's like, whoa, the, the, you see, like, this Ananias and the people, they lost their way. You hear me mention in our Wednesday studies how, you know, these are, when we get this understanding of the law, we're going to understand why the Lord does what he does in uh, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, the Chronicles, uh, what he tells the uh, prophets to say in the major prophets and the minor prophets. And you understand why he calls Israel a harlot, a straight up whore. Because they turn their back on the Lord. How do they turn their back on the Lord? By bringing him dishonor. And then the Shekinah glory leaves the temple. And then Israel starts to lose battles. Well, this right here with Ananias is an example of this abdication. Abdication of the spirit of the law. These people, the high priests and this council of the Jews, they were blind and deaf to the spirit of the law. Remember when Jesus Christ, the Pharisees, oh, we're, we follow Moses, we're hardcore. And Jesus Christ says, no, Moses wrote about me. If you believe Moses, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. No, it's, what happened between Aaron and Ananias? What happened? They've lost their way. They've become the religious establishment. The religious establishment, when Jesus came the first time, they were blind and deaf to his coming. The re religious establishment in his second coming are blind and deaf to his arrival. Blind and deaf. Look at the religious establishment today. Is there a religious establishment? You betcha. Oh, as surely as the Lord lives, there's a religious establishment. And what are they? Blind and deaf. Blind and deaf. Don't forget, the last day's church, it can be broken into three groups. The last day's church. It can be a false church, an apostate church, or a refined church. Those are the three categories. And then among the refined church, do the 50-50 split from the 10 virgins. Of the refined church, 50% are foolish, 50% are wise. Five are foolish, five are wise. So for easy math purposes, let's take 100. Say the church is 100 people. and say, So you take the 100 and let, divide it into three. Because remember, uh, there's the uh, 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 false, apostate, and then the refined. So let's just divide it by three. It's probably a smaller figure. But let's just divide that by three. So what do you get? I'm terrible at math. Uh, so like 30, say 33. <laughs> 33. 
Okay, and then take 50% of that, that's 16. 16 out of 100. And that's being very generous because narrow is the way. That's being very generous. So what's the 1600 ratio? The last days are no joke. We're living in days where, you know, we have to be Bereans. I know people respect their pastors. I know people respect their churches. I know people respect whatever denomination. But we have to respect the word of the Lord. You know, there's that song. I don't know who sang it, but it's like from the olden days. You know, be true to your school. I think it's like a Beach Boys song. I don't know for sure. But you know, they be true to your school. Be, you know, be true to the Lord. Be true to the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. They say, oh, how dare you say this against my church? How dare you say this against my Catholic church? How dare you say this against my priest? Well, it's not in the Bible. You know, the priest may be a nice guy, but when he starts teaching you to pray to Mary, to pray go on, on Mass, to go pray to Mary, to rescue your dead relatives in purgatory, that's not in the Bible. I know it's in the councils. I know it's in the, the writings. But it's not in the Word of God. Very, very dangerous days that we're living in. And look what happens here. These proponents, these adherents to the religious establishment in verse 4. Do you revile God's high priest? Remember, these, these are people who are blind and deaf to the spirit of the law. Blind and deaf to the revealing, the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. In verse 5, then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So it's so cool because what Paul is doing, you know, he's, you know, being honest. He said, I didn't know he was the high priest. I just thought, you know, maybe he was like one of the chiefs, but I didn't know he was the high priest. And then he goes and says, For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody where they look down upon you? Like a highly educated person? I mean, just recently, you know, I was speaking to a, uh, um, a somebody with a doctorate in theology. They were saying one thing, and I'm just like a, a Joe Schmo. Uh, nothing fancy. The doctorate in theology, oh, you know, this, the Bible is this, we got to be like this. No. It is also written. Look at this. And it's not in a prideful sense. It's just say, look, you know what? I know you're looking down upon me, but I know what I'm talking about. And I don't say that pridefully. That's what blows me away. A lot of pastors, a lot of elders, they get away with murder. Literally, murder. I mean, not literally in like, you know, actual murder. But like spiritually, they get away with murder. Because what's going on in the pews? You have biblical illiteracy. A pastor can say whatever. And the people in the pews, oh yeah, amen, amen. No, it, the Bible doesn't say that. 
the people in the I mean, the elders, you know, look at all the safeguards for a pastor teaching God's flock. The elders should be like, hey, pastor, you know, that wasn't right what you said. Hey, pastor, that doesn't, that's not what the Bible says. Or a co-pastor, you know, to come alongside the pastor or an elder to come along. But you know what you see in church leadership? A bunch of yes men. A bunch of yes men. Just like these guys right here. Do you revile God's priest? God's high priest? God's high priest they killed. God's high priest they crucified. In the order of Melchizedek. But people in the pews today, it's like, you know, we have to know our Bibles. Because pastors get away with murder when they ought not to get away with murder. And so Paul is revealing, hey, you know what? You're speaking to me like, you know, I'm nobody, but I know what I'm talking about. He hasn't told them, I'm, you know, they don't know his pedigree. Maybe they, you know, maybe they weren't paying attention, you know, when he, when he proclaimed to, when he spoke Hebrew last week, when, not last week, but in our study last week, in chapter 22 in the beginning, when he started to speak Hebrew and there was silence, maybe they thought he was making it up. Maybe they thought, okay, you know, maybe he knows a little bit about the law, but not like us, we're hardcore. And then Paul says, oh, you know, he says in, uh, in verse three, do you command to be, me to be struck contrary to the law? Imagine the people in that council room. Wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then in verse 5, he says, For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Wow, this guy again? Wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. Paul knows the law. And I love his finesse here. What happens? You see a little bit of his strategic maneuvers. Look what happens. And it's so beautiful, you know. In verse 6, but when Paul perceived, very interesting because you see his strategic maneuver, uh, orally speaking, you know, oral, oral strategic maneuvering, highly, highly skilled. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, man and brethren, I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. He brings up the resurrection. The resurrection. And this is a big deal. Because look at verse 7. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there, there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. That's the Sadducees. But the Pharisees confess both. So Paul strategically picked the scab. Remember verse 6, he perceived this. He perceived that there's one side of the room that's Sadducees and the other side of the room are Pharisees. And what does he do? Exploit that. Now, when I say exploit, sometimes you hear me say exploit, you know, in, in modern day terms, ex exploitation has a bad connotation and rightfully so when applied to a certain you know, aspect of our culture. But exploitation, you see like in the prophecies in Daniel, you know, people who know their God shall do great exploits. You know, look at the good side of it. You know, sometimes, you know, people have told me, why do you say exploit? Well, it, it's a good thing, you know. It's not, you know, when you apply it to this thing in our culture that we see today, then it's bad, it's ugly. But performing exploits unto the Lord and for the sake of the Lord and for the glory and honor of our Lord, it's beautiful. 
That's what he's doing. He see, he perceives, you know, he's in this room. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows the law probably way better than all these guys. All these guys put together. He says, okay, these are the Sadducees over here. These are the Pharisees over here. What does he do? Boom. He starts to bring up the resurrection. You could look at it from one regard and say, oh, oh no, Paul is, 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 is bringing up division. Paul is dividing. Look, the in verse 7, the assembly was divided. Paul is causing division. How dare Paul bring up the, cause division? He's lighting a little fire. And he does cause division. But you know what blows me away? Turn with me really quick to Romans 16. Romans 16. And in Romans 16... Verse 17, Paul writes to the church, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to do the doctrine. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. What he doesn't say is, note those who cause division and avoid them. You see? It's people who cause divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine. Contrary to doctrine. That's Verse 17 here of chapter 16 is a big deal in Romans. I meant for us today, but I say in Romans just specific, so you can you know, pinpoint where it's at. It's a huge deal. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple, hypnotize and seduce the hearts of the simple, the harmless, unsuspecting, and innocent. That's how it translates. I can't tell you how many times people have told me, oh, I don't like how you say it like this. I don't like how you talk bad about this pastor. He's really ministered to me. Okay, okay, that's fine, I get it. He's ministered to you. But, you know, do you know that he also advocates grave soaking? I know this ministry has really touched your heart. But when somebody says that it's okay to start grave soaking, you know what that is? Grave soaking is, you know, where you, know, you have a, a Christian who dies and they bury him. And then the pastor says, Oh, okay, we're going to do this counseling and, you know, we're going to do grave soaking. Or this couple, they're dead. They were alive 20 years ago, but their marriage was, you know, it's in the history books. So husband, you lay down on this grave. Wife, you lay down on this grave. And what's happening is the whole, you're soaking up the Holy Spirit. That's grave soaking. Grave soaking, straight up. What's happening today? I could say the name of the pastor, I could say the name of the church, I could say the name of the ministry, but I don't want to rock your world too much. Oh, I don't like how you talk about this pastor. I don't like how you talk about this ministry. Grave soaking, an abomination before the Lord, necromancy. I have, you know, no shame whatsoever in pinpointing these things and saying, hey, you know what? This guy is dangerous. This ministry is dangerous. Oh, but I just feel so good. I feel, well, be very careful with feelings. Be very careful with feelings. I mean, you know, a heart doesn't survive without a brain and a brain doesn't survive without a heart. 
over too much, you know, overly intellectual. That's not a good thing. Because you can say, hey, you know, don't forget your heart. Overly sensitive, don't forget your brain. You know, one one can't exist without the other. To be alive, I meant. Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Straight up. That's what the Word of God teaches. Sound doctrine. You know, our pastor in California always used to say, you know, uh, if everybody was obedient to their Bible, he said, I'd be out of a job. You know, I could exhort, you know, once a week, just do like a quick exhortation, but I wouldn't be counseling. I wouldn't have to talk about this particular sin that's, you know, growing in the church, this particular carnal nature that is growing in the church. I wouldn't have to speak about these things. I wouldn't have to pinpoint this, no marriage counseling, none of this, because everybody would be obedient. But, you know, it's kind of wishful thinking. I mean, it's a a good observation, but it's also wishful thinking. Why? Because we're wrapped up in these earth suits. I mean, when the Lord is done with you, you're, you're going to be dead. When the Lord is done with you, you're going to be learning for all your life. I mean, if you're abiding in Christ, if you choose to abide in Christ, you're going to grow, you're going to mature, you're going to uh, 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 put aside the elementary things and move on to perfection. So you can look in our study in Acts 23, you can look at it and be like, what is Paul doing? He's causing division amongst this council. That's such a terrible thing. No, it isn't. Remember, Jesus Christ says, don't think I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide. Why? Because the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. That's what the Bible teaches. A man's enemies will be those in his own home. I mean, a Christian home is a beautiful thing. But for the Lord to tell us that a man's enemies will be in his own home, that's pretty hardcore stuff. But you know what? There's no other way. Be hardcore with the Word of God. Be hardcore with Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And so look what happens here. In verse 7 of chapter 23, book of Acts, he says in verse 7, And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. See, I meant, you seek God's favor, but don't forget in, in verse 6 that Paul perceived that one group is Sadducees, the other group is Pharisees. In order for him to understand, you know, he had to be very, very keen, very, like immensely keen to understand what a guy is saying is of the Sadducees. And very keen to understand that what this other guy is saying, he's a Pharisee. That's why, you know, like if you're talking, somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And they start talking to you. And then, you know, you start to understand, okay, this guy, this gal, they're reformed. 
they're into the Reformed theology, what I call Reformed theory. Calvinism, it's kind of like a, 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 a quasi-Calvinism. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not into Reformed the- theory. I'm not into that. If, if that's you, I don't want to offend you. But if that's you, you know, it's, it's not my cup of tea. And a lot of what's happening in Reformed theory is a lot of people are getting into trouble because, you know, even like mainline pastors, they're starting to teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast. It's okay. You can still be saved if you take the mark of the beast. It's crazy talk. Directly contradicts Holy Scripture. Do not take the mark of the beast. But because they say once saved, always saved, it's also giving them licensure to say other things, such as it's okay to take the mark of the beast. And that's one of the beauties of the last days. All these things, the Lord is going to shake things up. Shake things up for people to realize, whoa, what does the word of God say? It's not okay to take the mark of the beast. I don't care what XYZ pastor says. It's not okay to take the mark of the beast. Don't do it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, just, you know, Google it. You know, what pastor says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll see what I'm talking about. Or actually, you know, there's a, a message. Search up, search up the messages, you know. Don't take the mark of the beast. You'll hear it. Or you talk to another person. Okay, this girl's Lutheran. Or you talk to another lady. Okay, this lady's Catholic. Or you talk to another person. Okay, probably Baptist. And then, you, you know, they talk even more. It's like, okay, Southern Baptist. And it's not so you can get in a high horse and be like, okay, I know these things. It's so that you can understand. And what? Exploit. Just like Paul did. In verse 6, when Paul perceived, you too can perceive and understand, okay, I'm talking to Reformed. I'm talking to a Catholic. I'm talking to a Lutheran. I'm talking to a Methodist. I'm talking to a Baptist. I'm talking to Southern Baptist. I'm talking to a a, a Pentecostal. I'm talking to a Charismatic. Why? So you can be a fish. Go go fishing. Go fishing. You know, someone says, oh yeah, my pastor told me it's okay to take the mark of the beast. So you know what? If they're pre, if they're, if they say that they, 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 if they're reformed, and then they're also pre-tribulation, say, well, you know, just in case you miss the rapture, don't take the mark of the beast. And you can teach them this is what the Bible says. See, be a little fisherman, being wise and understand and perceive these things. And so, look what happens here in verse. 9 says, Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. You see, Paul, Paul's brilliant. I mean, if I could go back in time and whisper into Paul's ear, Paul, nice move. Good move, Paul. <laughs> I mean, you see the favor of the Lord, but then you also see Paul applying how the Lord has blessed him. You know, people, you know, it's like in the Old Testament, like when um, Joshua starts to pray, you know, they're losing battles and Joshua starts to pray. And I love it so much because the Lord's like, Joshua, why are you praying to me? Why are you praying to me? There's sin in the camp, Joshua. Deal with it. Handle business. Take care of it. 
or when Moses is, is you know, with the people. And then all of a sudden, the Egyptian, the, the war Egyptian fighters are fo- following them. Like, Moses, they're following us. They're coming. And then they're at the water. And Moses goes down to pray. And the Lord's like, Moses, why are you praying? I told you to keep going. And so Moses, okay. You know, put your staff down. And then the ocean spreads open. I love it so much when the Lord tells people, you know, why are you praying? <laughs> Achan, sin in the camp. Joshua, why, why are you praying? There's sin in the camp. You have to deal with it. That's why for pastors and elders, mostly for pastors, but elders too, since you know, you're know you in the, a shepherd role in the church, you have to pray for their body. The flock that the Lord has allowed you to shepherd. You have to pray hard for them. And what happens when they're sitting in the camp and you know about it? These are things that you can't just gloss over. You know, you go, you fall on your face before the Lord and you start to pray for the church. Oh, Lord, you know, help this, whatever, you know, this situation. Help them do this. And I wonder if the Lord's going to be like, why are you praying? There's sin in the camp. You need to address this sin in the camp. Very important for pastors, when you fall on your face before the Lord and intercede for God's people, God's flock that He's allowed you to shepherd, it's very important you know, to understand things because when you look at, you know, all these people who have prayed for churches, prayed for uh, 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 Israel and leadership capacities, whether priest or like Joshua or Moses, a lot of times, Lord, why are you praying? This sin needs to be addressed. This carnal, carn, carnal nature needs to be addressed. Just like Paul to the church in Corinth, Paul has to write a letter. Hey, you guys. Your rejoicing is not a good thing. Can you imagine? Say, for example, we have a church of like 100 people. And we all come to church. It's like, wow, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, and we start singing, you know, clapping our hands, rejoicing in the Lord. And then somebody runs in. Hey, guys, we got a letter from Paul. We're like, oh, beautiful, Paul. I miss that guy. How's he doing? Read the letter. The guy comes out in the front, you know, taps on the mic a little bit. Okay, make sure it's on mic check. And then all of a sudden starts to read blessings in Jesus. Continues to read. Says, you're rejoicing. And you know, first says, you know, you I wish I could talk as to adults, but since you since I'm speaking to babies, I gotta give you milk again. And all of a sudden we're like, what? Oh, Paul's so offensive. Paul is offending me. Paul is hurting my feelings. No, he's correcting. And then he continues to write, your rejoicing isn't good. And here we are. We're just, we just got done rejoicing. We're worshiping the Lord. We're gathering in fellowship. And Paul is saying our rejoicing isn't a good thing. It's precisely what he said. You know why? Because of sin in the camp. Leaven. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder listening to my words, take this to heart. Take it to heart. 
when you pray for the church, when you pray for the body, when you fall on your face before the Lord and you spend time with the Lord in intimacy with Him and you intercede for the church, the people, families, marriages, kids. Kids are like in straight up war zones. They go to school, they have their friends. It's, I thought it was bad when I was a kid. But oh my, this is a hundred times worse for kids now. Now they're doing the sex ed to kindergartners. You better, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you better be on your face before the Lord. Be on your knees before the Lord, interceding for His people. And look what happens here. Let's go back to Acts. In verse 10, Now when there arose a great dissension, so it got even worse, there was already dissension. There was already this uh, uh, division. There was this already this the, the commotion between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And then all of a sudden, you know, in verse 10, there arose a great dissension, the commander. So remember, they're in front of the commander. And Paul was giving, he, he, he was allotted his rights as a Roman citizen was for a fair trial. And what's happening at this uh, uh, arbitration meeting? The commander seeing all of this. And then the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, whoa, it's really getting out of hand, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. Red letters. Be of good cheer, Paul. Cheer his comfort, courage, and cheer. Be of good comfort, Paul. Be of good courage, Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. I love these red letters because you read these black letters. I have a colored Bible, so I have black letters and red letters. So if you don't have red letters, it's, you know, they're red letters of mine. But you know the, the, red, the, the words of the Lord are in red letters. But you see all these black letters. It's like black, black, black. And you see what's happening to Paul. Like, oh, man. Then you get to verse 11, it's like, whoa, red letters. How beautiful this is. Because sometimes in your life, you're going to have black letter situations. Maybe even not just black letter situations. You're going to be in a dark tunnel. And then all of a sudden, boom, red letters. The Lord's going to be right there with you. Be of good cheer. Be of good comfort. Be of good courage. Be of good cheer. It's so beautiful that we have this intimacy with the Lord. It's not restricted to Paul. It's not restricted to Moses. It's for everybody who believes. It's for everybody who abides in Christ. It's for everybody who's obedient unto the Lord. Intimacy with the Lordship of Jesus Christ gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then something's going to happen. You're going to look forward to death. <laughs> you know, the doctor calls you and says, hey, we got to check something out. You know, you go visit your doctor and says, okay, you know, I'll call you back in a couple of days. And you're like, please be stage four. Please be stage four. You know, please tell me I have two weeks. Please tell me I have two weeks. It's so beautiful because it's like, whoa, you know, intimacy with the Lord. Straight up intimacy with the Lord. It's like, wow. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. 
Look at this intimacy that Paul is, it has here in verse 11. But I have to say something. Remember the prior counsel that he received. Let's go to chapter 21 really quick. <clears throat> chapter 21 of the book of, and we studied this, but a little refresher course. It's kind of fresh, but I'll say it again. And in verse 4, in finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So what the Holy Spirit was telling these disciples is like, hey, you guys, Jerusalem is a dangerous place. And in their council, they were saying, okay, let's stay far away from Jerusalem. It's not safe. Let's stay away. Paul, you know, you know, uh, uh, we love our fellowship. We love fellowshipping with you. We love this union that we have with you. And you tell us you're on your way to Jerusalem, but the Holy Spirit is telling us it's dangerous. Don't go, Paul. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It's too dangerous, too risky. They might kill you, Paul. Look at verse, in the same chapter, look at verse 10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus, Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That's what the Holy Spirit was saying. correlates with verse 4, what the Holy Spirit revealed to the disciples. Jerusalem is a dangerous place. Also uh, correlates with what the Holy Spirit was telling Paul in, in chapter 20, verse 22. says, And see, now I go bound in, bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. The whole time the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Jerusalem is dangerous. The Holy Spirit, all these, the previous chapters were, you know, that Paul is going from town to town, area to area, on boat to one area, on boat to another area, by foot to another area. And the whole time the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you know what? You're going to be in Jerusalem and chains and, and tribulations await you. Shackles and affliction await you, Paul. And the Holy Spirit confirms it in chapter 21, verse 4, through these disciples. The Holy Spirit confirms it with Agabus, the prophet. And in verse 12 of chapter 21. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him, pleaded with Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul. The Holy Spirit is testifying, Paul, that Jerusalem is dangerous. Do not go, Paul. We love you so much. You're such a titan of the faith. You're such a good teacher to us. How the Lord has used you and how the Lord can use you. Don't go, Paul. Look who was there. You have apostles, evangelists, prophets, prophetesses. Disciples, Paul's travel companions. Paul, don't go. In verse 13, then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. He's like, Wow. Was their counsel wrong? Agabus? 
Dr. Luke, the disciples, the prophet, the prophetess, prophetesses, four, four prophetesses. Philip, was he wrong? Were all these people wrong? And I'm going to say something very controversial. Yes, they were wrong. And now you might be thinking like, who in the world does this guy think he is? I'm nobody. But their counsel was wrong. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul goes to Jerusalem. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. The Holy Spirit was testifying. It's dangerous. Jerusalem is dangerous. Chains and tribulations await. But in the face of danger, the counsel that Paul received was based on fear. Paul, don't go, don't go. And Paul says, look, I'm, not, I'm ready not only to be bound, but if they kill me in Jerusalem, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm alive, I'll honor the Lord and preach Jesus Christ and teach the good news. And if they kill me for that, they help me. They're almost like, you know, my persecutors are my servants because, you know, they're going to put a bullet in my head or they're going to chop off my head. They're my servants because they're aiding me in my objective. And it kind of reminds me of Job. And that might be a stretch. It might be a stretch to say, say Job. Maybe I shouldn't say Job, but it reminds me of the, the, the interaction when you read the book of Job. When you read Job, you have to take very, very, very acute attention to who is speaking. Because you have passages where Job speaks. You have passages where Satan speaks. You have passages where the Lord speaks. You have passages where Job speaks more. And then you have passages where his friends start to speak. And then you have passages where the Lord speaks. And you know what's interesting about his friends, the friends of Job? When you read what his friends say, you read it and it's like, that's not entirely wrong. When you read the counsel of Job's friends, it's not, you know, they, they say things, they, you, you read it and it's like, okay, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing to say. But then the Lord chimes in. And he says, who in the world is giving you this counsel, Job? They don't speak for me. It's what they were saying did not apply to Job. Job's friends, what they were saying does not apply to Job. I'll tell you something about counsel. This is what, what I look for when I want counsel. Well, I go to the Lord. But when I want to speak to somebody, and no offense, Lord, and you know, I speak to the Lord. I, 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 it hurts me to say that because I speak to the Lord when I pray, you know, it, I go to the Lord for counsel. But if I were to go to, if I needed counsel, you know, this is what I look for. And this is what I recommend for you if you need counsel. 
This is what you look for in a person. Sound doctrine. Their doctrine has to be sound. In accordance with the Holy Word. And number two, you look for humility. And number three, who is the most dead? Those are my three criteria. And you know, I'm going to have to repent later because, you know, I go to the Lord, you know, and that's why I go to the Lord. But if there's ever a time where you need counsel, those are the, those are your three criteria. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, these are the criteria that you have to live by. You have to adhere to sound doctrine. You have to be humble in the Lord and meek in the Lord and dead in Christ. Dead in Christ. You have to. Otherwise, you're, you're, you have too much noise around you. You're drowned out. To, you're going to be like the friends of Job. You know, you say something and people are like, okay, that's true. You say another thing, okay, that's true. But I wonder what the Lord would say. You know, Job, who are these people? That's not, that counsel is not for you, Job. Who are these people? You know, oh, this guy has helped me a lot. You know, I don't like how you say this because, you know, this ministry has helped me a lot. This pastor has helped me a lot. Okay, I get that. So did you, do you also grave soak? Do you also lay on graves to soak up the Holy Spirit in accordance with what this guy teaches? That's an abomination before the Lord. That is not sound doctrine. For me, I don't accept that. I don't accept counsel from such individuals. From such ministries. God is not mocked. It's very important to understand these things. Because you know what happens? You heard me say earlier how pastors get away with murder. But when you're a Berean. It's, it almost becomes impossible for, the, for you to get taken. You know tossed to and fro by all, all kinds of winds of doctrine. It becomes impossible. Why? Because you're firmly planted on the rock of salvation. That's why. Firmly planted. And so look what happens here. In verse 12, Acts 23. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together. Oh, nice. You have a picture of unity. Look how awesome this is. Unity. I'm speaking facetiously. But look at this union. And bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So they go on a hunger strike. And this hunger strike, they say it's over when Paul is dead. That's their hunger strike. Or that's their what they concocted. In verse 13, now when there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. Now there were more than 40 who had, conform, had, who had formed this conspiracy. Conspiracy. They're using the law to manipulate Oh, help the hungry. We're going to study passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy about helping the poor, helping the hungry. We're going to study these things in the law. Numbers, you're going to see it applicationally when foreigners, sojourners come and join in the camp of Israel in the Old Testament. But they're using the laws to manipulate. Very interesting. Do people today use the Bible to manipulate other people? Oh my goodness. Yes, they do. Pastors use the Bible to manipulate flocks, congregations, you know, and 
Parents use the Bible to manipulate children. Wives use the Bible to manipulate husbands and kids. Husbands use the Bible to manipulate wives and kids. Don't do that. Don't ever, ever, ever do that. You know, James chapter 2, Brother James writes to us how faith without works is dead. And it's not works like, you know, I'm going to do, you know, good things. You know, that it's not a bad thing to desire to do good things. Do good things, certainly, in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It must be in obedience to the Lord. You know, when James writes, that's why I say when, I, when you hear me refer to Brother James as faith and works in James 2, belief and obedience Faith in works is the same as belief and obedience. The two, it's not one and the other. It's not I have the gift of belief, I have the gift of works or, or, or obedience. No, the two come part and parcel. You can't separate the two. Why do I say it that way? Because when Brother James in chapter 2 starts to write about it and expound on it, he refers to Abraham. And, you know, when you read Genesis 22... And you read Abraham, what is he doing? He's obedient to the voice of the Lord. You could look at Genesis 22 and be like, is it good, good works to sacrifice your son? That's crazy talk. It's good works. When Brother James writes about faith and works, he gives an example of Abraham. And then you read the account of Abraham. You go to Genesis 22. What do you see? You could look at it and be like, okay, Brother James says that faith without works is dead. And what are the works? What are the works in, in, in Genesis 22? Sacrificing my son? Is that good work? So I, I'm going to go sacrifice my son. Of course, I'm speaking kind of a little uh, crazy talk. But I'm trying to tell you a point. No. You know what you see in Genesis 22? Obedience to the voice of the Lord. Obedience. The Lord says, don't sacrifice your son. Boom, he stops. The Lord will provide for himself a sac an offering, a sacrifice. You see? Obedience. I say that specifically because, you know, to... Uh, further illuminate, illuminate this point, turn to Matthew 7 really quick. <clears throat> In Matthew 7, verse 22, the Lord, red letter, says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, you who practice lawlessness. Whoa, that's hardcore. Depart from me? I never knew you? Whoa. Remember verse 22, he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Number one, they call on the name of the Lord. And then they ask him this question, Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not then done many wonders in your name? And you know what that translates to? Have we not done many mighty works in your name? Yes, works are a good thing. But always, 
in obedience to the Lord. Say, what do you mean? I'll tell you what I mean. Let's look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The will. Not the works. The will. Works are good. That's why in James 2, I say, you know, faith and works, but I equate it to belief and obedience. Oh, but I feed the homeless. I feed the homeless. Okay, that's cool. Praise the Lord. But let me ask you a question, brother. Let me ask you a, a question, sister. Is that where the Lord called you to in that ministry? Yes, the, the works, you know, the works are good. But is that where the Lord has called you? Is that where the Lord, is that the Lord's will for your life? I don't know. I just do good work. It's almost like a works-based salvation. I just do good works because I don't want to burn in hell. Well, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you abiding in Him? Yes, then you're good to go. But I don't know the will of the Lord in my life. Okay, then hold my hand. Let's pray. And then wait. Learn. Train up. You need to be in boot camp for a period of time. You know, let's roll around on the mat a little bit. I'll teach you how to fight. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. Spiritually speaking. Oh, but you know these, you know, I want to do this drug ministry. I want to do this sex ministry. You know, people who go into ministry and they, they go on the streets at night, you know, and they go and uh, minister to the prostitutes. Beautiful ministry. I've seen it. Like, I've heard testimonies. But it's the women who are the tip of the spear. And they go out and they teach. They go out and they preach the good news. And they go and, you know, former prostitutes, former strippers. And then they go out and they're Christians now. And then they go out and they minister to these. They go out and talk to the strippers. They go out and talk to the prostitutes. And they bring them to Christ. And then they have their Bible studies. And it's just a bunch of beautiful women. Like, whoa, this is so cool. How beautiful it is to see these ministries. But then a guy says, oh, I want to be a part of that ministry. Don't forget Satan's a fisherman too. Satan is a fisherman too. Oh, I want to go and minister to these drug people. Surely God would want them to be saved. Look, it's good works. Yes, good works. Yes, God wants them to be saved. But let me ask you a question. Is it the Lord's will for you to do that? Is the Lord the one who's directing you to do that? Because Satan's a fisherman too. And what do you see? People going to these, you know, sex ministries. It sounds weird to say that, sex ministries. But when I say that, I mean, you know, like the, the, the uh, uh, ministries that go and pull the prostitutes out of that lifestyle. That's the, that's the goal of that mission. Go and uh, pull the strippers out of that lifestyle. So when I say sex ministries, it sounds weird, but that's what it is when I say that. So they have people go into these sex ministries. And sure, you know, it's beautiful when the Lord is directing. When the Lord is the commander. Have you ever talked to a commander before? They're the ones who are in command. They call the shots. It's not, you know, a squad doing its own thing. It's a squad that's under obedience of the commander. 
The first squad goes here, second squad goes here, third squad goes here, fourth squad goes here. We form together, we form a platoon. And then you have platoon commanders, unit commanders, you have uh, 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 battalion commanders. But under the obedience of Jesus Christ, where is the Lord directing you? What is the will of the Lord for your life? Yeah, I know, you know, these ministries, the ministries unto the homeless, it's beautiful. But is it the Lord that, that's directing the steps? Is it the will of the Lord for your life? Because you know what I see? People get into a lot of trouble. They say, oh, I'm going to go work in this sex ministry. And they get pulled into that because Satan's a fisherman too. Or people say, oh, I'm going to go work in this drug ministry. And they get pulled in that lifestyle. Why? Because Satan's a fisherman too. If I were to tell you, oh, I'm going to go tuna fishing, I'm going to go fishing for tuna, I'd go drive to the coast, rent a boat, charter a boat, you know, get on the boat and have these big, you know, the fishing poles that can handle tuna. Maybe take a group of guys with me. I say, okay, we're going to get some tuna. But how stupid, how foolish would I be if I take a two-year-old and I say, hey, baby girl, Baby girl, we're going to go get some tuna. Baby girl picks up her fishing rod. Big old smile on her face. Wow, you know what? This is going to be so much fun. Surely we're going to catch a fish. Baby girl, look, your rod is moving a little bit. Hold the, hold the pole. And then all of a sudden, baby girl flies off the boat. Why? Because the tuna is too big for her. Too big for her. She can't handle that. She's just a two-year-old. That's what happens when people say, oh, you know what? Works, 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 works. I'm going to go and help these drug people. I'm going to go help these sex people. And they're like baby girl. Satan's a fisherman too. And what happens? Boom. They fly off the boat. Why? Because they were not trained. They were not equipped. They were focusing on the works. Instead of the Lord of the works. Very important to understand this. Very, very important to understand this. Especially even more so in these last days. Not to, not to say that, you know, you know, 20 years ago is okay or 100 years ago is okay. But even more so now. So let's go back to Acts 23 now. You have these conspirators. They're using the law to manipulate others. Using the law. And today, people use the Bible. Christians use the Bible. Pastors use the Bible to manipulate others. Husbands use the Bible to manipulate a wife and kids. Wives use the Bible to manipulate I mean, I mean, have you ever talked to a proclaimed prophet? I have. <laughs> crazy. Crazy town. Straight up crazy town. Or a proclaimed prophetess. Crazy town. Oh, thus it, dog. You know, can I talk to you in private? Sure. What's up? Oh, the Lord wants me to tell you, you know, X, Y, Z. Okay. The Lord told me ABC. You know, so 
What's it going to be? And it blows me away. There's so many crazy people out there. So many crazy people. But you know what? When you're tossed to and fro by all kinds of various doctrines, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You can see it. It's palpable. You can feel it. But intimacy with Jesus Christ, wow, it's so beautiful. So incredibly beautiful. Because you know what? You have these conspirators in accordance to the law. It says in verse 14, they came to the chief priests and the elders. These are the co-conspirators. But where do you see the red letters? With Paul. With Paul in the barracks the night before. The following night, verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him. Where do you see the Lord? These conspirators and co-conspirators, they say we're for the Lord, but no, where do you see the Lord? Where do you see the red letters? In the barracks with Paul, all by himself in the barracks. You have this big group of people over here, huge group of people. And you look at them, they got the priest, you know, they, they're, they're dressed like priests, they look like priests, they talk like priests. Wow, you know, surely the Lord is with these people. Who's this guy up in the barracks? Who is that guy? Oh, no, no. It's just that one guy. I heard about him. Nah, the Lord's not with that guy. The Lord is with this group of people, the priests. But where is the Lord? In the barracks with lonely Paul. Comforting him. Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good courage, Paul. Be of good comfort, Paul. You know, you've testified for me in Jerusalem, but I'm not done with you, Paul. Let's go to Rome now, Paul. That's what I mean when I talk about intimacy. You can talk to the self-proclaimed prophet. Thus saith the Lord. Well, <laughs> I have intimacy with the Lord. You tell them. I mean, if you do have intimacy with the Lord, I hope you do. I pray you do. If you don't, get there, you know. Have intimacy with the Lord. Turn off the TV. Turn off the computer. Turn off your phone. Go to your quiet place. Maybe a prayer closet. I don't know. Get on your face before the Lord. And seek His face and have intimacy with Him. I don't know any father that does not want to hear from his kids. I don't know. I know they're out there, but I don't know any. How much more your father in heaven? How much more your father in heaven? Talk to him. Have your intimacy with him. Look at all these so-called holy people. The chief priests, the conspirators, the elders, Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes. What a big group of holy people. So-called holy people. But no, where is the Lord? Look at today, the pastors. Look at, turn on the TV, TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. Surely God is with this guy who tells me to go grave soaking. Surely God is with him. No, that ain't the Lord. You know, Surely, uh, 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 Pastor Lucy, the Lord is with her. Pastor Lucy, is she teaching men? Yeah. 
That's contrary to sound doctrine. Oh, but she speaks to my heart. She's a motivational speaker then. Not a pastor. She can call herself a pastor. But she ain't no pastor. Oh, but Pastor Jennifer. Oh, I heard about Pastor Jennifer. You know, in the Episcopal Church. Didn't he change? Wasn't he born a man? Yeah. Oh, but he speaks to my heart. No, ain't no pastor. These are the days we live in. I know sometimes I speak and it's kind of abrasive. I understand that. But these are the days in which we live. Choose for yourself whom you will serve. Why? Because the Lord is coming. The wheat and the tares will grow together and must grow together until the harvest. Until the harvest. Wheat and tares together. What happens at the harvest? The wheat thrown into the fire. Or the wheat. <laughs> I, I did that the wrong way. You know, the wheat thrown into the barn. The, uh, the tares thrown into the fire. That's what happens. I know these are hardcore statements, but it is written. The two must grow together until the harvest. And that's what happens at the harvest. Crazy, crazy days that we live in. In verse 14, they came to the chief priests and the elders, so the conspirators, they joined with their other people and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So a great oath? A great oath? We swore an oath, you know, it's, it's under godly pretense. Don't ask us details about it. Surely it's a godly thing. We're priests after all. And we swore an oath under the law. Now they're telling you guys, join us in our oath. Join us in our oath. You got to join it. Join with us. And they're using the law to their advantage because in Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says that that's what has to happen when there's an oath that everybody come together. This is under the law. But the law is also condemning unto them because of the, the to them and their co-conspirators. That's in accordance with Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1. Leviticus 5, 1. Now, a little refresher course. You know, we've studied Leviticus chapter 5. So you know this already. This is the law. You see how the, for us today, 2,000 years later from what's happening here in Acts 23... Our studies in the law, not advocating the law, but because we have this knowledge base of the law, now you understand like, whoa, these guys are blowing it. What happened? What a far cry from Aaron this is. And that's what's so beautiful about studying the full counsel of the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. The old interpreting the new, the new interpreting the old, and everything pointing to Jesus Christ. Because now you have this knowledge of the law, and you read about these adherence to the law, what they're doing, and it's like, whoa. I don't mean whoa like whoa. I mean whoa like W-O-E. Whoa unto them. Whoa unto them. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 23. Speaking to the Pharisees. 
Matthew 23, verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides. 17, Fools and blind. 19, Fools and blind. 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 24, Blind guides. 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 26, blind Pharisee. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 33, serpents and brood of vipers. Whoa. The Lord is speaking to the religious establishment. Saying, woe to you, they were blind. And deaf to the spirit of the law. Look at Acts 23. In verse 14, they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you. Now here comes the compulsion part. Manipulation. Oh, since we're godly people, you know, we're priests for crying out loud. We're priests for crying out loud. And we swore this oath in accordance to the law. And in accordance to the law, you have to join us in this oath. And because we're priests and because we're following the law, you therefore need to do this manipulation. You see? Does that happen today? Oh my goodness. Pastors do it. Elders do it. Parents do it. Husbands do it. Wives do it. You know what I say? Cut it out. Don't do that. If you're a pastor and you do that, repent. Don't do that. Elder and you do that, repent. If anybody who does it, repent. The Lord is the commander. You're not the commander. The Lord is the commander. He's the CEO. He calls the shots. He directs the steps. He's the good shepherd. Not you if you're a pastor. You're not the good shepherd. There's only one good shepherd. You might be a sheepdog. I pray you are a sheepdog. You know, obedient. But if that's not you, you need to step down. There is hardcore major, major, major manipulation in the church today. Husbands unto wives, wives unto husbands, pastors unto flocks. Parents unto and and kids. Manipulation. Oh yeah, we're holy people. I'm a holy pastor. I'm a holy elder. I'm a holy deacon. You know, oh, I'm a holy uh, uh, dad. I'm a holy wife, you know. Whatever, you know. Surely the Lord would speak through me. So you know what? Let's. You're going to do this now. And then what happens in the flock? Because they're not Bereans. Oh, I have problems in my marriage, so I'm going to go seek out this guy, and he's going to minister to me, and then he tells me to lay on this grave so the Holy Spirit can soak up the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, I go grave soaking all the time. Crazy. These are things that are happening in the church today. This whole concept of grave soaking, it's growing because it comes from a very popular denomination. 
out of Reading. <laughs> Very popular congregation. And this grave soaking, it's growing, it's becoming very popular. It's spreading. Lawlessness. Crazy, crazy stuff happening. And you know, it blows me away. If the church were Bereans, this would never happen. Oh, my pastor says to... Uh, I should go grave soaking, and because I'm a Brian, I tell him, fat chance, repent, pastor. But no. Surely this guy is holy. Surely the Lord is with him. He tells, you know, me and my husband, he tells me and my wife to lay on this gravesite so we can soak up the Holy Spirit from these dead people. I get away with murder. So-called godly men getting away with murder. So-called godly women getting away with murder. So-called godly former men. You know, they're still men biologically, but I'm just, you know, look at what you see today. Be a Berean. Be a Berean. Remember all the chaos that happened in Thessalonica when we studied in, 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 in a couple chapters ago? Look how Thessalonica was like a mess. It was just like chaos all over the place. But then you get to Berea. What do you say? No chaos. Why? Because Berea was full of Bereans. No chaos. Look in the church today when people are tossed to and fro by all kinds of, kinds of various doctrines. They believe this. They go to the New York Times bestseller. Who's the latest and greatest uh, Christian teacher? Oh, New York Times bestseller. So I'm going to read this book. And next month, oh, it's this book. So I'm going to read this. And next month, I'm going to read this. Next month, toss to and fro. And then look at their homes. Look at their marriages. Look at their kids. What do you see? Chaos. Thessalonica. That's what you see. But then you walk a little distance to Berea. And what do you see? Bereans. No chaos. So beautiful. So beautiful. You choose. I'm just telling you. I'm just the messenger. You choose. And so look what happens here. In verse 15, now comes the compulsion of man, the manipulation. You know, now you, therefore, together with the council, oh, look at this unity, together with the council, suggested the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow. This is speaking about Paul. You know, that he be brought down tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So, Tell the commander, this is what they're telling him. You know, we're holy people, so join us in this holy convocation. Tell the commander that we're just going to inquire to Paul, ask him some questions. But really, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. This right here alone, based on our studies in Leviticus, because we're not done with Leviticus, but in our Wednesday studies, the Lord has us in Leviticus. And based on what we know so far about the book of Leviticus, Look at this council. Look at this council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, and then look at their council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Look at the council and look at their council. Look at the high priest. What happened? They're blind. They're blind. Shame on them. 
woe unto them. Just like the Lord says to them in Matthew 23. That's the conspiracy. Tell the commander we're just going to ask Paul some questions. And when he's walking down the street, we're going to kill him. And we're not going to eat until we're on a hunger strike. Until Paul is dead. Now look what happens here in verse 16. So when Paul's sister's son, beautiful, you see the little family of Paul. Paul's sister's son, so his nephew, heard of their ambush. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how Paul heard of, uh, Paul's nephew heard of their ambush. Remember, Paul's pedigree, he was in close circles among the Pharisees. You know, his dad was a Pharisee. You know, he, in his family, they were uh, Romans. He was a Roman by birth. So his parents were Roman. And then, you know, so I don't know, you know, if the, the fruit fell far from the tree with regard to this nephew, but maybe this nephew was in that inner circle. Or maybe he himself was being, maybe he was in Gamaliel's school. I don't know. But somehow, this nephew, he heard about it. He heard about the ambush. It's so beautiful because you know what you see here? You see the manipulation of man. But then you also see the favor of the Lord. The favor unto the Lord. Unto who? The favor of the Lord. Unto who? With lonely Paul in the barracks all by himself. Where in verse 11, the Lord stood by him saying, be of good comfort, Paul. Be of good courage, Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. We're not done yet. Yeah, you're in Jerusalem, but we're not done. We're going to Rome. So, like, Paul's in Jerusalem. The Lord has said to him, we're going to go to Rome. So Paul already knows in his heart, knows in his mind that, okay, no matter what happens here, the Lord has taken me to Rome. That's what's so beautiful about this chapter. Look at all the black letters. Look at all the perceived darkness that's coming upon Paul. And where do you see the red letters? With Paul, lonely Paul, his intimacy with the Lord. Yeah, Paul, we're in Jerusalem, but we're going to Rome. And Paul knows, okay, the Lord says we're going to Rome, so we're going to Rome. That's just so beautiful about intimacy. You speak with the Lord. The Lord speaks with you. You speak with the Lord. The Lord speaks with you. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then, you really can't wait to die. So look what happens here. In verse 16, So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him, brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me, to, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. So the nephew now. The nephew, Paul says, take my nephew. Well, I don't know if he revealed that he was a nephew, but says, hey, you know, take this young man. In verse 19, then the commander took him by the hand, took the nephew by the hand, went, as, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, this is the nephew now, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. 
but do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one these tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. So don't tell anybody. Verse 23. Then he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. It's about 9 p.m. About 9 p.m. So like when the sun sets, that's when they start the clock. So sun sets, boom, first hour. So say the sun set at 6 o'clock. The first hour would be 7 o'clock. Second hour, 8 o'clock. Third hour, 9 o'clock. So it always counts from either sunrise or sunset. So sunrise, like the third hour of the day, the sunrise, first hour. Say the sun rose at 6, 6 a.m. So sunrise at 6 a.m., first hour would be 7 a.m. So that's how they did their timing back then. So it'd be like, you know, the fourth hour of the day or the first hour of the night. That's how they did their times. So in verse 23, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. So this is Philip's hometown. Remember, he was in Caesarea. So this is a lot of what's, what's going on. Uh, 200 plus 70 plus another 200, 470. It's a lot. It's a big group. Men and, you know, some horses. And so look what happens here in verse 24. And provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. You know, this is a, a little comment I have to say about this in verse 24. Very interesting how the system of governance has modalities of safety. Modalities of safety are found in the system of government. Very interesting. Don't forget, the book of Romans has already been written. Historically, when you look in chronological order, the book of Romans has already been written. And what does Paul write about to the church in Rome? He says, stay obedient to the government. Submit yourself to the governing authorities. And we're going to talk about this hardcore when we get to Romans 13. He says, submit yourself hardcore. Or, you know, we're going to study it hardcore, but he says, submit yourself to the governing authorities. We live in a culture today among Christians where you see disobedience unto government. And, you know, I'm... I know this is going to rub you the wrong way. But what I'm seeing is, you know, this disobedience of the word of the Lord, disobedience, you know, people being disobedient, saying, oh, you know, let's, you know, be disobedient to government. And it's not, it's a matter of being obedient to government, but above that, obedient to the Lord. Because people say, oh, yeah, the government overreached, the government can't do this, the government can't do this. Meanwhile, they have their food stamps. Oh, the government can't do this, the government can't do this. Meanwhile, uh, they're getting their uh, 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 Medicaid, free government insurance. Oh, the government can't do this. Let's protest the government. Meanwhile, they're getting credits for their health care. Oh, the government can't do this. The government can't do this. Meanwhile, they're getting all their other tax credits, child tax credits. Wild days we're living in. Praise be to the Lord that we live under a system of government where, you know, there's 
certain modalities of safety, just like what's happening to Paul here. Don't forget, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he says, submit yourself to the governing authorities, don't forget who the governing authorities were. <laughs> Straight up Rome. The system of government that crucified our Lord. The system of government that six years from what's happening in Acts 23, six years from now, in our study in 23, Paul, Brother Paul, beautiful, beautiful Brother Paul, he's going to get his head chopped off. That's the system of government that Paul says, submit yourself to this government. The system of government that puts a knife to your neck and says, who is Lord, Caesar or Jesus? You say Caesar is Lord, you get to live, go home, be with your families. You have a knife to your throat. More pressure, more pressure. Who is Lord? More pressure, more pressure. It starts to hurt. Who is Lord? You say Jesus Christ is Lord and He's my Savior. Boom. Sword goes in your throat. Or they take you and put you in the games. But for sport, they take you, put you in the games. You read the history books, what happened to Christians, specifically Christians in the games. How they separated the men and how they separated the women and all for sport. It's like in a big arena. On one side, you have Christian men. On the other side, you have Christian women. And what they did, unspeakable things to the Christian women. Unspeakable things they did to Christian little boys, Christian little girls. Unspeakable things, sexually speaking. And then when they were all done, making husbands watch, let out the animals. Let's watch them get killed, eaten by lions. This is the system of government that Paul says, submit yourself to this government. And I know when I say it's going to rub you the wrong way, I'm a patriot. You know, I always, you know, sometimes people are, I'm a self-proclaimed patriot. But you know what? Obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His Word is hardcore. You know, there might be a point where we have to go underground. Just like you see the Christian church in North Korea, the Christian church in some areas of China, in certain Arab countries, in Vietnam, in Russia, the persecuted church. But what's what's happening, what we're seeing happening in like North Korea, they can't be fish. They have to be very, very wise fishers. Christian, the Christian mom and dad, they can't tell the, their kids about Jesus Christ. They can raise them up and, you know, with, uh, in, in, with, raise them without Jesus Christ, but they can raise them with the fruit of the Spirit in love, in mercy, in grace. Because if the kids, the kids might tell their teacher, you know, loose lips sink ships. The kids might tell the teacher, oh yeah, you know, we had a church last night. We, we read the Bible last night. And the teacher, by law, or else the teacher will get killed, has to tell the authorities. This student, you know, lives in a Christian home. And then boom, the authorities go to the home and arrest the, could be, a, they target the pastors. They monitor them for a little bit. Or what's happening in Arab countries, you have like factions of ISIS. 
They'll pretend they're Christians. They'll speak Christianese. They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. God bless you, brother. And the Christians will say, okay, come on. Let's go to the home fellowship. It's secret. Don't tell anybody. And then this ISIS guy who pretends to be a Christian says, okay, cool. You know, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When's the next meeting? You know, next Thursday. And then, you know, they say, okay, we'll see you Thursday night. They gather and then boom, ISIS comes, beheads all of them, does unspeakable things to the women, to the girls, to the young boys, makes the husbands watch, and then kills everybody. But to be very wise, underground church, that's what you're starting to see, the underground church is growing. The, the mainline church, what we, what we used to see, where you had like a building as a church, I don't know, me personally, my personal belief, and I'm not going to, you know, like say like this is fact, but my personal belief is that you're seeing the, the deviation from the building church into home fellowships, home fellowships, beautiful, beautiful home fellowship. People who are like, I don't know what's going on in this big church, but you know what? They're kind of crazy. You know, my pastor says I got to go grave soaking you know, my pastor's transitioning into a female. This female pastor's transitioning into a male. Uh, you know, they're doing these weddings. Uh, what, what in the world? Something's happening. So, you know what? We're just going to start our own home fellowship, do our own thing. You're starting to see these things rise. And I love it because, you know, it is a remnant. A remnant body of believers. That's so cool what you see here in verse 24. You see, and provide mount. This is the, the commander is sending a letter. You know, he, he says to the, uh, 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 in verse 24, and provide mounts to, to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. So Paul has safety under the system of government. In verse 25, he wrote a letter in the following manner, Claudius Lysias. So it's revealed now the commander's name. You've heard me say commander all the, you know, for the past several weeks. You've heard me say, equate him to a, a colonel in, you know, modern military terms. Modern military likeness. But he has a name. Claudius Lysias. To the most excellent governor, Felix. He says, greetings. Now he gives a little situation, a little sit rep, situation report. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning the questions of their law, but had nothing charged against them deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent, that's, you know, uh, uh, Paul's nephew, you know. And so I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. That's the letter. Sent by the commander, Commander Claudius Lysias. Verse 31. Then the, com then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they, so they separate a little, you know, the group goes back to the, uh, uh, to the barracks and the other group continues on to Caesarea. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. Remember, Paul's a Roman. So he's Jew, but he's also a Roman. So what does that mean? He's afforded these rights 
to, you know, the accusers can say whatever, but he has a right to defend himself. And so he says, I will hear you when, when your accusers have come. And you know what's interesting about this? Paul is in, the, it was in the hands of the commander, the military, kind of like the military sector, the faction. But now he's on the political side, in the hands of the political side. And he reminds me of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You know, arrested. You know, there's the Jewish faction. And then there's the, uh, 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 the religious faction. And then there was the Roman faction. And you see Paul. That's what you're going to see Paul. You're going to see him among the Jewish faction, the Roman faction, and then now the political faction. Remember Jesus before Pilate? That's the political faction. You're going to see these things just like the Lord. And this Felix, Governor Felix, I will hear you when your accusers have also had, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. And I love this so much. We're going to end right here, but I have to say something. Paul is in this Caesarean Praetorium. And there's another Praetorium like in Jerusalem. And I wonder, me personally, I think Paul was just straight up rejoicing like crazy. Worshipping the Lord. Remember when he was in the Philippian jail and he was rejoicing with Silas? They were bound and they're just rejoicing in the Lord. And I wonder if Paul right here, is he, if he's rejoicing as well. I bet you he was. Why? Because he's suffering like the Lord. Remember brother Peter in Acts 5 verse 41, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord. Historically, when Peter was killed, they were going to put him on a cross. He says, no, I can't be hung like my Lord. I can't die like my Lord. So put me on the cross, but put the cross upside down. Put it upside down. And historically, that's how he died. Turn with me really quick in closing to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 in closing. And look what happens here. Brother Peter. Brother Peter. Beautiful, beautiful brother Peter. He says in chapter 4 verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. Rejoice. To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Just like Paul, what's happening to Paul in the uh, Caesarean uh, Praetorium. Paul is, uh, Peter is saying the same thing to us, to you and to me. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. Remember, there's two factions. When your accusers come before you, there are two factions, just like with Paul with his accusers. And that's what Brother Peter is writing about here. On their part, our Lord is blasphemed. But on your part, He is glorified. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. Translates as a meddler in other people's matters. Just like, you know, we talked about the uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, those who like to 
by compulsion of man or manipulation. And Paul, uh, brother Peter is saying, let none of you suffer as a murderer. Because you know what? If I go to jail for committing murder, well, I'm worthy of jail. I'm worthy of prison. If I go to jail because, you know, I stole, I, I, I ripped off somebody, I broke into somebody's house and stole their TV or whatever, and I go to jail, I'm worthy of jail. And that's what Brother Peter is saying. Don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody, a meddler, a manipulator in other people's matters, he says. But then he says this. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, the abider in Christ, the one who Christ abides in, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You see? It's like complete opposite. Somebody punches you in the face. It's like, wow, Lord, praise the Lord. Somebody throws you in jail because you're a Christian. There's this saying, you know, if it were illegal to be a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? If a law, if a decree goes out, all Christians need to go into jail and be arrested, arrest all Christians. Is there enough evidence to convict you? Or will you be safe and sound? Go about your daily life because nobody knows you're a Christian. There's no light. You're lukewarm. You're cold or lukewarm. Are you on fire for the Lord? Some say, okay, that guy gets arrested. That girl gets arrested. Because I know they're a Christian. Praise be to the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice. God bless you guys. Love you guys.